Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for July 11th, 2021. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you all both on. I'm excited tonight. Our guest is going to be from Daily Co's Jeff Singer, who's been on the show multiple times, has not been on in a little while, so we kind of missed Jeff, but his schedule's where he can be on with us live on a Sunday, so we grabbed him. We are going to go deep into a lot of um, U.S. Senate talk. Uh, there's so many great Senate races coming up in 2022, and Jeff said he's prepared to talk about any of them, and we won't get to all of them, but we'll get to a lot of the good ones here in about 20 minutes. Um, but until then, one that I don't think we're even going to ask Jeff about, because we may talk about ones that are going to be um, competitive more in the general, and that is going to be the state of Alabama. Uh, Richard Shelby, who has served, um, I, I don't know, did they build the Capitol building around Richard Shelby, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. He's been there a while. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been he got elected as a Democrat, and if I'm not mistaken, he served multiple terms as a Democrat, switched parties, and now he's served multiple terms as a Republican. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. Well, um, yeah, I mean, well, he has decided to hang it up, um, and really, they say. You know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, if you're in Alabama and you want government spending to come home to Alabama, uh, Richard Shelby brings it home like no one else. David, we're really having trouble hearing you, brother. I'm wondering if I'm outdoors and it's getting a little windy, I'm going to walk inside and uh, try to reset this thing. But um, Richard Shelby, you know, he's going to have huge shoes to fill, particularly because of the way that he was able to raise money, uh, or not, I mean, sorry, bring home, you know, pork barrel spending for Alabama. So that's going to be one place, no matter who they elect, they're going to miss. But we're going to go over the candidates that um, have announced so far. And um, right off the bat, if you look at politics one, there is no Democrat that's even looking at this race. Um, Catherine, first off, before we get into these candidates, do you think uh, a Democrat, a serious, you know, a Doug Jones-type Democrat uh, makes this race um, to fill the shoes of Richard Shelby? I don't know. I mean, I, that's a, that would be a expensive and tough race to win, and, you know, I'd like to think that there's a Democrat out there that has the wherewithal to uh, run and hopefully win, but I'm just not sure it's worth the – I mean, I can understand stand why no one has stepped up. It's a tough race. Tough state. Yes. Oh, definitely. So, 
Tim, same question. Um, what do you think uh, uh, the possibility is that um, a real, you know, serious, well-funded uh, Democratic candidate even makes this race? I think the chances are pretty slim. I know, I know that, for instance, J- Doug Jones is, uh, is already disqualified himself. Uh, this race is considered such a safe Republican race that we we may end up with a candidate, but uh, it, it might be like a mayor of a smaller town or, or someone like that. I don't think any high-profile folks are, are looking at this race. I mean, look, Richard Shelby has been right there. I believe he got elected in 1986, and before that, he had four or five terms in the House. This is a man that's been in Washington for over 40 years, and even though he switched parties, he is still an institution. And uh, the state is so red, and basically what we're watching right now is nothing on the Democratic side. And on the Republican side, we're watching to see who can, you know, out-trump the other candidates, so. Yes, and we'll get into those candidates. Um, there's four announced uh-huh. Republicans. I'll tell you, I don't know that a Democrat makes this race. One name that always gets mentioned is, uh, I guess now he may be former mayor of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Walt Maddox. Um, I hadn't even heard his mm. name mentioned, and he usually gets mentioned. Nope. So, um, yeah, um, I, 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 I don't at a list of, of people who might be looking at the race, to, and they, they were not a who's who of you know, I mean, we're talking about like business people and that sort of thing. No, no high-profile political people are looking at that race on the Democratic side right now. Yes. Well, now let's get into the names of the four candidates that are announced. Um, and it's kind of an interesting field. I'll say this. All four candidates, media-wise, appear to have polish. Um, their their intro videos, their websites, they look um, like they're well-funded and they've got consultants that understand you have to put, um, you know, a little more um, marketing appeal into a campaign that's serious. So uh, let's start off with Congressman Mo Brooks, the only man of the four candidates in the race. Um, but Mo Brooks, uh, he's from the Huntsville area the north end of the state, and he's a big Trump supporter. Um, he was one of the speakers on January 6th, uh, and he has, I will say this, one of the most um, unusual political logos I've seen in the way it appears. It's not like rainbow or anything um, way uh, eccentric. It's just um, different. I'll say that. Um, Catherine, uh, buy, sell, hold on Congressman Mo Brooks. I'll buy him since he's already been endorsed by Donald Trump and he's, you know, awfully Trumpy and uh, he'll probably be pretty well funded because of that. So I'll, uh, I'll buy him. Yep. Okay. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on Mo Brooks. Yeah, I'm uh, he's been eyeballing this seat, just salivating. Well, Ready, ready to jump in and go. He's got a good organization, a good staff. Uh, he's pretty well known, and like Catherine said, he has the magic endorsement. Right now, I've got to uh, buy him. 
Yes. Well, we're going to make that one three for three. Um, he is the Trumpiest in that he has that uh, seal of approval. Now, I think at least one of the candidates um, is going to give him a run for his money on trying to be the Trumpiest. But, um, you know, he's been with Donald Trump um, for a long time. I guess he kind of filled the shoes of Jeff Sessions is uh, Donald Trump's main Alabama guy when um, Jeff Sessions actually, you know, wanted to follow the laws at some time and not just do whatever Donald Trump wanted him to do as attorney general, um, good for Jeff Sessions um, on that. Now, another thing I do think is important is it is going to help him stand out that he's the only male candidate and the other three candidates are female. I think that is going to be something that differentiates him. Um, he also has elective experience compared to the other candidates, which have some interesting experience that would make for, you know, a good candidate typically, but they just haven't been, um, you know, elected to the House of Representatives. Although, if you use your time to make speeches outside the Capitol on January 6th, I could question how wisely you use that experience in time. Um, and so, I, I'll tell you this, geographically, do y'all think either y'all think it's going to play a factor that he's from the north half of the state, not from the Birmingham area where more population is? Actually, I think it's going to help him from being in the north Alabama area because it's pretty populous where he is and very, very, very conservative. So it's going to mm -hmm. it's going to help him a lot. Yes, Catherine, agreed. I agree. Yeah. i tell you what's interesting. If I'm not mistaken, at one time, Huntsville had the most Republican area of people with science degrees. And I think, I think mm -hmm. Huntsville is going to be an interesting area because it is a place where there's a lot of scientists. And, of course, the Republican Party seems to be moving away from a lot of science. So it's going to be um, – a lot of people are going to be put in a dilemma, and they're going to have to choose sides there. Um, well, let's get into another candidate, and I think, you know, if we may not can get into everybody deep um, before Jeff comes on, there was a video that really got national attention, and this candidate, she may have the least experience of the uh, four candidates, but she caught attention with her video. Uh, her name's Jessica Taylor. She's a businesswoman, an attorney, a conservative activist, and ran for um, – House of Reps in 2020 didn't win. Um, not sure where she ran, by the way. I don't know if she primaried somebody or um, maybe she ran against Terry Sewell. Somebody can, maybe can give us a background on that. But Jessica Taylor, um, we'll get into the ad, but, but she has entered the race. Um, Tim, when you do the buy, sell, hold, if you want to mention anything from the video, feel free. Well, that video, my goodness, she mispronounced <laughs> Kamala Harris's name not once, but twice. What'd she call her? Kamala or, or, or something like that. Uh, the rocket, the, the little rocket thing shooting off, and all that was actually pretty cute. But it, that, that video was just ruined by her purposeful mispronunciation of the vice president's name um i'm gonna do a hold on her by the way she was uh 
candidate. She ran the open seat in the second district in 2020. She finished third, but she only finished like less than 700 votes behind the eventual winner, the person who is the Congress critter there. So uh, her first time out to run wasn't too bad. So I'm going to do a hold on her. All right. Um, Catherine? I'm going to do a buy on her. I think um, she's going to try to out-Trump uh, Mo Brooks. And uh, I think she's got sort of that, uh, you know, blonde Republican thing going for her. Uh, it sounds, I mean, from the video, you almost think she's trying to out Marjorie Taylor Green. Marjorie, you know, out, out, out green, green. Um, but I think she probably, she seems to have some media savvy. That ad is ridiculous, you know, the mispronunciation. And, but those are the kind of things, that kind of video is the kind of thing that, you know, gets people excited. It's, you know, aggressive and, you know, full throttle. And uh, so I'm going to buy her. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I want to sell, sell, sell that brand of politics. Um, if you watch that video, there were no solutions to anything. Any problem that you think America has, she didn't fix anything really. It was just a grievance video. It was grievance politics. Um, now, I will say this. I, I saw um, Good Ad, Bad Ad by um, – I think it's uh, Dan Pfeiffer, and he was on there with Cornell Belcher, and they did a video that was very similar in North Carolina, and they talked about how they both personally hated it, and that may have meant it was good because it's what the Republican primary voters want. And I think there was a monster right. truck that destroyed things. Um, and this was a rocket. That was the gimmick here. Um, I'll say this. I firmly believe that if um, David Perdue – does not either a mention Vice President Harris, it was at the time Senator Harris's name, or mispronounce it. Certainly in the manner he did. I mean, he you know went five different ways with it. It was just ridiculous. I think that probably cost him just enough votes, a few thousand votes, and he probably would have won on election day. One of the dumbest political errors I've seen. Now, will it hurt Jessica Taylor in the same way? Probably not, because this is a Republican primary for one thing. And then if you get the nomination, you're not even going to run against a, a Democrat, certainly not a Democrat funded at the um, level of John Ossoff. And so maybe she gets away with that. Now, when you talk about shooting off the rocket, yeah, it was a gimmick. And if maybe she's from the Huntsville area, too, with the rocketry, although, Tim, you told us it's the second district, and I know that's south of um, uh, Birmingham in the middle of the state. So it wasn't that. But, you know, she put the little Twitter thing in, which – Whatever that is. She put a random stack of cash in. Now, you can complain about government spending. I mean, I think everybody should be against waste, government waste. Now, spending, we can all disagree on what is excessive spending. But just to shoot random cash into space, I'm not real sure where that goes. Um, what that's about, that's about right there with flushing it down the toilet. Um, and then finally – she talks about the price of lumber going up, gives no fix. And you know what? I want the price of lumber to go down because I understand if you're building things and, and creating jobs, it's better if you're not having to spend so much on raw materials. But she doesn't put a two-by-four in there. She puts a, a you know a four-inch cutoff 
um, that looks like an absolute scrap. I mean, that's a sanding block, if it's anything. That was the most strange, you know, item just to throw randomly in the little rocket, um, this little scrap of wood. And that was supposed to represent anything. But I noticed all throughout, there was never a plan for anything. Like if you say, hey, I'm, I'm against government waste. I want to, you know, enact zero-based budgeting. Um, I have a plan to, to get sawmills back functioning at full capacity where we're going to bring prices down. I mean, that's something I'll listen to, but you have no solutions. You just want to complain. I'm surprised she didn't hit um, Dr. Seuss and Potato Head in there, too. Now, she did talk about critical race theory, although the book she chose, and, man, I was I was having trouble with uh, YouTube. I was trying to freeze it. I don't know if y'all did, to see the title. And appears it's um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And so if I'm not mistaken, um, that book is not the book in which the legal theory of critical race theory is based on. So she just picked any old random book to represent something that she probably couldn't explain. Um, that said, I'm going to sell her because I think she is. I think, Catherine, you're right. She's fighting in that same lane as Mo Brooks, and I think she doesn't win that. Um, when we get to the next two candidates – I think they're kind of in a different lane slightly than uh, Jessica Taylor or Mo Brooks. To me, there's a there's a um, a Donald Trump side of this, and there's a Mike Pence side. Uh, all the four may be Christian, but two are going to run really on Christianity and Christian beliefs, and two are going to run on owning the libs, and that's where Jessica Taylor's at. Um, and so I think Mo Brooks is going to kind of edge her out for that area. Um, let's see if we can get into another one of these candidates. Um, um, the person that was the chief of staff for Richard Shelby, and she's also been on the business council, the CEO, um, you know, worked with Alabama businesses. Her name's Katie Britt. Um, and to me, like I said, she's in a different little uh, spot in this race. Uh, Catherine, I don't know if you saw much about Katie Britt, but uh, buy, sell, and hold her campaign. I'm going to sell her. I guess, you know, just in the past day or so, Trump came out and said she was, you know, unqualified and blah, 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 the worst candidate. So I think that negative comments from Trump do not help someone in Alabama, and uh, so I'm going to gonna sell her. Yeah, good information. Um, I'll say this before I let Tim do it. Uh, maybe that's the problem. If these were the four candidates, and I don't like everything I saw in her video ever, but these are the four candidates, and you said you have to pick one of them. There's no choice five. I'd pick her, and that's probably the undoing of her, um, because if I liked her and I'm not in that party, that means that she's probably all wrong for their party. Uh, Tim, I saw Hulk, Katie Britt. Well, uh, you know, she is Richard Shelby's preferred candidate. She's also managed to raise about $2 million in a short amount of time. And most telling, Mo Brooks is attacking her. Therefore, he considers her his chief adversary. I'm buying her. Yeah, and, and this is where it gets into the division in this primary. I'm going to buy her two. Um, it, it's probably going to come down to two candidates and then a runoff. 
and I think it's probably going to be Mo Brooks and Katie Britt. And then it gets into – we know this party's so dominated by Trump, and Alabama is so Republican, but Alabama is one of those states because it's so Republican. A lot of people that might in other states become Democrats because they want to vote for county commission and sheriff and whatnot, particularly in the primary, are going to pick up a Republican ballot. If a lot of those Trumpiest voters don't show up in the primaries, particularly the runoff, and the more um, sensible, uh, good government conservatives show up, could Katie Britt ride them past Mo Brooks? I wouldn't bet the mortgage payment on it, but it's a more likely scenario than some other ones possibly. Um, well, we still have one candidate to go, but we've got to put a pin in this because we're so excited to welcome back to the kudzu vine after too long a hiatus, Jeff Singer. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. It's great to be back. Yes, well, we're just uh, covering that Alabama Senate race, and we said we wouldn't ask you much about it, but I did want to ask one question. Any rumors of a Democrat of note looking at this race? I wish I could say yes, but I haven't really heard of many real names there. I mean, it's it's always good to run someone just in case. Doug Jones showed that in, us, that in 2017, but it's Alabama. It's a tough place. Yes. And I think in a different day and time, uh, Katie Britt might be the Democrat because um, she's probably got the most um, governmental sense of the characters. Um, well, let's get into some of the races. And um, the first one I want to talk about, and I don't know what the outcome of the Senate races will all be, but if today you made me bet money on one of the myriad of possible outcomes of all the states, I would say at the end of the day, um, one seat flipping, that being John Fetterman um, winning and uh, taking over to Pat Toomey's seat in Pennsylvania, um, and everything else staying the same, I would put my little poker chip like a roulette wheel on that outcome. Uh, tell me about Pennsylvania. Is it the most likely to flip, or is there another state? I think Pennsylvania is the best Democratic target of all of them. Wisconsin's probably really closely behind, but I think Pennsylvania is the best. There are some vulnerable Democratic seats that we can get into later that maybe are – a lot of it depends on the political climate, but are probably about where Pennsylvania might be today, maybe more, a little bit more vulnerable. But Pennsylvania, I think, is the best Democratic pickup in the whole country, and it's a very – it's a swing state where – Biden won just enough. Um, there's, it's an open seat. Pat Toomey's retiring, the Republican senator, so big opportunity. Yeah, well, I mean, let's get into the actual candidates. Um, I, I think um, John Fetterman's got primary opposition. Does he somehow lose the nomination, or is he pretty much not a shoe in, but close to it? I mean, Fetterman's a good bet, but. There's a long way to go. He has some real rivals. So John Fetterman, he's the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. He's this huge, well over six foot guy, tattooed. He's a presence. He's he's a presence both online and offline. He's he has um pretty good base in western Pennsylvania. When he ran for lieutenant governor in the primary, he dominated there. He's raising a lot of money, but he does have some real opposition. Right now it looks like his most serious opponent is the head of the Montgomery County Commission, um, Val Ar Arcos. She's, um, yeah, she runs the 
county government in Montgomery County, which is this big suburban county in the, in the Philly area. Emily's list is behind her. She's raising a good amount of money. She, I think she has a real chance. There are some other candidates who are running right now. Most prominent one is State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta. He, if he won, he'd be the first gay black senator ever, and Pennsylvania's first black senator, period. But um, we're going to see how his fundraising fundraising reports are due in a few days. His first one was kind of wasn't particularly good, but we'll see if he brings it up. And there's some other candidates thinking about running. The most prominent one is Representative Connor Lamb in the Pittsburgh suburbs. He won that big special election in 2018. Um, Army veteran. He's 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 an interesting guy. He hasn't committed to it yet, but a lot of people think he's going to. And he he represents an area where near where Fetterman comes from. So he, I guess he would kind of hit support, but you never know. <laughs> As they say, yeah, that, they play the game. <laughs> that is very tricky. That, that that would be two candidates in that western Pennsylvania area, and I hadn't heard about Connor Lamb um, uh, running. So I figured with a, a Democratic. Uh, governor that they could protect enough seats where it wouldn't be an, an issue like, say, Tim Ryan in Ohio, where he'll get redistricted out of his seat. Um, well, let's talk about the east-west divide. Um, you know, you're mentioning the Montgomery County executive. Is it going to be where she's going to get a lot more vote in the Philadelphia area, Fetterman's going to get more vote in the Pittsburgh, or can either of them kind of um, in, infiltrate the other side of the state? I mean, that's a really good question. I would think that those would be their geographical strong suits, but there's a lot of factors. Arkush, she'd be the first she'd be the first woman to represent Pennsylvania in the Senate ever. Like that's that could appeal to people. Fetterman, he's he's an interesting guy. He could appeal to people and he's already a statewide figure, so he'll he has some name recognition well outside Western Pennsylvania. And then there's the other candidates. Um Malcolm Kenyatta, he's from that he's from the city of Philadelphia. He could he could take some a lot of votes there, or at least enough to make a big difference in a crowded primary. So there's yeah, just a uh, lot going on here. Yeah, it does sound like an interesting uh, primary to follow. I know if uh, if Fetterman had his way, he'd probably um, want to make it like a battle royal instead of an elective um, you know decision at the polling place. Um, well, let's go to the Republican side. You know, Pat Toomey is retiring, and I get that's not so much a sense of, oh, no, I could never win re-election, but I'm just kind of sick of the way Republican Party politics is going. So people have stepped up to run for that seat. Um, who's on the Republican side? So this is, this is one where a lot of the Republican establishment seems to like a guy named Sean Parnell. He's also a veteran. He ran against Connor Lamb in 2020 and came – surprisingly close to winning. Um, it was about 52% for Lamb, 48 for Parnell, which was, wasn't super close, but it was a lot closer than a lot of people expected. So Parnell, he's a lot of the Republican establishment likes him. So far, Trump hasn't weighed in, but he really did like Parnell when he ran in 2020. And not to be confused with the former governor of Alaska, I should say, who's also Sean Parnell. Um, there's a few other people. There's John Bardos. He's a rich real estate guy. He was the Republicans' 2018 nominee for lieutenant governor. There's a few business people. There's um, Carla Sands, who's a former ambassador to Denmark, which she got for being a really rich, a wealthy donor. And she's also, I believe, had an acting career that 
hasn't been defined by a lot of – she hasn't been in anything I think we've heard of, if I'm, but she's an interesting person. So there's, there's a few other candidates talking about running here and there, but if I was going to guess today, I'd say Sean Parnell would be the nominee because I do think he is the inside track with a Trump endorsement, which has so much weight, unfortunately, in these primaries, but we'll see. Yes. Well, um, I, I'm now wanting to find out all about the filmography on IMVD of uh, Carla Sands now. Um, you got me quite uh, intrigued there. Um, I ask you a whole bunch about Pennsylvania, so I'm going to be fair to Catherine and Tim and let them ask some questions. And, and there may be a state that they don't touch on that I want to hit later on. But Catherine, I'm going to throw it to you. Hey, Jeff. Nice to have you back on. Hope you're doing well this summer. Oh, yeah. Um, I want to ask you about our favorite state, Georgia. Um, it's We've got, you know, Senator uh, Warnock, who has made quite a splash, at least from our perspective, since he's been in Washington. He's, I think, doing a great job. And uh, then we've got, you know, some people who, are, you know, uh, what's his name, Black, has actually declared that he's running. But there's rumors about other people. What are you hearing about Georgia, and what are you, what's your sort of perspective on what's going to happen? So Georgia, the Georgia Senate race, I think that to Democrats is what Pennsylvania is to Republicans. I think it is the most vulnerable Democratic-held Senate seat. You could argue maybe Arizona, or there are some other states you can argue about, but I think Georgia is the most vulnerable. Um, so right now, a lot of the speculation is around a candidate who hasn't gotten in yet. Um, that is Herschel Walker, the former UGA football star turned Dallas Cowboys, I believe, player. And he's, he's been close to Trump for a long time. Trump has been loudly calling for him to run. It looks like Walker has moved back to Georgia after living in Texas for a really long time, but not sure that's fully been established. Um, Walker, you know, if he runs, he'd have a lot of name recognition. A lot of he would have a profile separate from politics, which often plays well, but he's never had to run for office before. He's never had to do something like this. With candidates like that, you never know how they're going to go. Sometimes they get the hang of it. Sometimes the political climate is just so good it doesn't really matter, and sometimes they crash and burn. So he's a lot of Republicans have described him as sort of a high-risk, high-reward candidate for them, and I think I would agree with that. There's some other candidates who already are running. Um, Gary Black, the state agriculture commissioner, um, you mentioned him. There's um, a few others, uh, two veterans, Calvin King, Latham Sadler. They're, they've never run for anything before. They seems like they have some connections, but the fundraising reports that are going to be due on, I believe, Thursday, Thursday night, they'll, they'll tell us, they'll give us a better idea who has the money to compete, mm-hmm. who doesn't. Well, so do you think um, the risk for this seat is just because Georgia is a republic, is you know, has always been a Republican seat, or because it, it, it feels to me, I mean, obviously I'm I'm biased, but uh, Reverend Warnock, Senator Warnock, Senator Reverend Doctor Warnock, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> um, has 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 not made a lot of errors. He's very likable. His uh, campaign was pretty much all positive. 
And so I'm just, is it just because he's a Democrat that he's at risk? I think that's the biggest reason. I, like you said, Warnock's done pretty much everything right, everything we you'd want for a candidate here, but, and he's been raising the money you'd need, but, you know, I don't have to tell you, Georgia's a tough state, and the yeah. oh, voter suppression bill is big fast. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's just such a it's a tough state, and if the political climate goes the other the wrong way, it's pretty tough for a Democrat to win there. So I think, like what you're saying, it's mostly because of that Georgia is a emerging blue state, but maybe isn't quite where it needs to be yet. Do you think that? Um having two black men running if we had Herschel Walker and running against Reverend Warnock, do you think that creates any, uh, um, or what impact do you think that would have? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. That's, that's interesting. There, there have been races between two prominent black candidates. I, I think one of the first big ones in a while was in 2000, um, in different part of Georgia, in like the Macon area, I believe, um, Stanford Bishop, when he, he ran against, he had a black opponent in 2000. It it was sort of interesting on how little anyone seemed to really talk about that at the time. It was just like, oh, that's happening. So there there have been some other cases, but I I'm sure there's somebody on Twitter who who will correct me very quickly, but I can't think of any. <laughs> big Senate races where both candidates were black or big governor's races. There have been, there have been certainly races, Michigan 2020, where the Republicans had a black nominee, but yeah, that, that we don't know. I, it could, it could be interesting. Definitely. Or maybe it just won't, maybe it'll just, just be like that Stanford Bishop race. <laughs> yeah. I just wonder about turnout and, um, you know, just the obvious uh, concerns about whether a full republic, if we can expect all the Republicans to vote for a black candidate. I mean, just yeah. uh, to be honest about it. Um, um, but, yeah, that's a good question. Yes, um, I would say, I guess well, first if you've of all, got Trump endorsement that cancels out some of that probably yeah i do think so i mean i think there are i think most republicans are fine voting for a black candidate as long as it's there as long as a black candidate who speaks their messaging i mean um yeah in, in south carolina tim scott he's he's always done i've not noticed any real drop off with among white republicans i think i think most republicans there especially one backed by trump a candidate backed by Trump, most of them are fine saying like, oh, we're not racist. Look, we're voting for this black guy. He's, <laughs> he's saying all the things we think. He's yeah. saying all the things we think. So that's perfectly acceptable for them. I mean, they're always going to be hardcore racist, but I think most most people are perfectly able to convince themselves they're getting, they should vote for their party candidate and things like this they can usually just get around. Um, and I'll say yeah. – I, I, a big race where there were two black candidates. That was the Illinois Senate race in 2004 between Barack Obama and Alan Keyes, but wasn't an especially competitive race. So doesn't really tell us much on that front. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm going to pass it to Tim for his, uh, his comments and questions. Thanks so much, Jeff.
Uh, good evening, Mr. Singer. We're glad to see that you got back from New Orleans in good shape. Um, <laughs> so uh, what I want to do, first of all, is go to your neck of the woods and to the state right above you. I know that Republicans are salivating at the idea of getting Chris Sununu in the race against Maggie Hassan. Um, If he were to enter the New Hampshire Senate race, would he be favored to unseat her? That's that's a good question. I think Chris Sununu, he, he has been, unfortunately, very popular as the governor of New Hampshire. He mm-hmm. won. He won last year with well over sixty percent of the vote, even while Biden was carrying the state. I don't know if I call him the favorite, but he would definitely have. He, I. I don't think there's any real question. He would be the best candidate the Republicans could put forward. New Hampshire, mm-hmm. you know, it voted for Biden by about seven percentage points, so it's going the right way. But it's it's a very notoriously swingy state. It does tend to gravitate all over the place because. It just has a lot of voters who are particularly committed to one part or the other and can swing very aggressively. So a lot mm-hmm. would really just it. All these answers do come down to the political climate, but New Hampshire probably more so than a lot of than a lot of places. That said, I don't. I think Sununu he would have a real shot. I don't know if I'd call him the favorite without knowing what the climate would be like. Hassan. Back in 2016, when she ran, she was sort of in the position Sununu was in. She was the popular governor of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. She was running against the Republican incumbent, Kelly Ayo. And um, she, Hassan didn't win her re-election campaign two years before by the same margin Sununu did, but she was still really popular, and it was a really close race. It, it tracked very closely to Hillary Clinton's victory over Donald Trump, Hassan's victory over Ayo. So... Mm-hmm. I I don't think I don't think we could go broke by predicting a close race in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Well, if he doesn't run, they really don't have another candidate of his stature to step in and run on the GOP side, do they? Nowhere near it. Not at the moment, no. I mean, maybe Kelly Ayotte could be convinced to come out of retirement and try it. Um, there's talk of her running mm-hmm. for governor if Sununu doesn't, and. They might try to get her for that instead. But, yeah, at the moment, there really isn't. But you never you never know. They're, this is a race Republicans would want to take very seriously. Um, and I'm sure they would find somebody that they could put up. But I think Sununu definitely mm-hmm. is their best bet. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, a state where the party got exactly who they wanted to run, Tim Ryan. In Ohio, but that state has really been trending strongly to the right the last couple of election cycles. Can Tim Ryan pull off a win in Ohio, or or, or is that state just about to get out of the reach of Democrats? Oh, that's the billion dollar question. I I think Ryan has a shot, but it's it's going to be very difficult, even under the best case scenario. Ohio really, mm-hmm. like you said, Ohio really just has gone the wrong way. And Ryan, he's his big pitches. He has represented the Youngstown area. He's represented an area that's gone really far to the that's swerved hard to the right in recent years. His his 
thing is I can win back these predominantly white working class voters who deserved the Democratic Party during the Trump era. And, well, we'll have the chance to see whether that's true or not. I, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll add that Ryan himself, he, he did run several points ahead of Biden in his district last year, but it was still his smallest mm-hmm. margin victory. So there is we, – we will have to see if he still has that appeal where he can win over these voters who – Used to, who voted Democratic as recently as 2012 and may vote for Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown in 2018, but otherwise have just been completely dead to us. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. I, my, my usual thinking is candidates definitely matter, but there's only so much any individual can do to, to hold back a tide. And it's definitely mm-hmm. been a tide in Ohio in the wrong direction for us. Mm. Well, let's jump across the country to a state where there really hasn't been a just massively strong tide in either direction, even though the state has been trending somewhat blue in recent cycles. I saw a poll just this morning that said that Kirsten Cinema is the most popular politician in the state of Arizona. More popular than Mark Kelly, more popular than Joe Biden. Does that indicate that Arizona is still a pretty conservative state, even among Democrats? I haven't seen that poll personally. I think uh-huh. I think if you do have the image that Sinma has where she's willing to say, like, she's not for either party, she's willing to vote her conscience and all that, I, I think that sometimes that's a way to get that you can become popular with the other side. The downside, though, mm-hmm. is you do make yourself more vulnerable to a primary challenge, and sometimes that kind mm-hmm. of that act can wear thin. Cinema, she's not up until 2024, though, so she is a while before she has to test that out. But Mark Kelly, like you said, he's, he's up next year. He's right. been a bit. He's he has not had that reputa- that cinema Joe Manchin reputation. He's he's been pretty um pretty good on not doing that so he'll get i guess get that sort of immediate test uh-huh but now four republicans so far have announced that they're going to run against him and one of them is like the state's attorney general and another was the head of the arizona national guard in like a 34-year uh career military man um so he's drawing some pretty strong competition where do you see that race right now? I would say other than Georgia, and you can quibble about this, but other than Georgia, it's the most – Mark Kelly in Arizona is the most vulnerable Democratic senator. Arizona, it's, it's been on a similar trajectory as Georgia. It's been a bit more friendly to Democrats down the ballot than Georgia mm-hmm. has for the last decade or so. There have been more Democrats who've won statewide, but it's also – been pretty conservative it's mm-hmm. it's um it's and republicans there they still control the state government they passed voter suppression laws the reason i i'd put kelly a bit higher is there are um like i was saying earlier there have been more democrats to win in recent years so i think there is a bit more of a precedent for trying to get reelected there mm-hmm. but it's 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 a tough state Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. 
there's one more state that's really interesting, but I'll tell you what, I believe I'm going to save that state for David because I guarantee you that he's going to ask you about this state. So, David, go ahead and take it away, brother. Well, Tim, you're wrong. I'm going to ask um, Jeff about his opinions of Deathstalker and the Warriors from Hell and the 1989 <laughs> South African action film The Wild Zone, both starring Carla Tans. I mean, Jeff had such a negative impression. I want to find out why he hates such two classics. No. Well, I think I think Death, I think Death Stalkers and the Warriors from Hell. I think Mystery Science Theater three thousand parodied that, um, but I haven't seen that episode. So, yeah, I think first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to watch that episode and report back. Yes, and I don't know about you, but I don't go to a lot of Johannesburg film festivals, so I'm just kind of out of the loop on South African cinema. But seriously, Tim, I hope you were thinking of Alaska. Is that what you were thinking of? Yep. Yes, See? sir. Yeah, twisted minds think alike. Um, well, Tim, <laughs> um, Alaska is just speaking of twisted mess. Um, they have pretty much uh, shoved over the incumbent senator, Lisa Murkowski, although the NRSC still has her as the incumbent, if you look at their site and see how they list the incumbent Republicans. She still gets the nod over Kelly T., who seems to be the Trumpiest. Um, that's the phrase we like to use on who's probably going to win Republican primaries these days, is who's the Trumpiest, and Kelly T. is. Um, in addition to breaking down that race, if you want to take a gander at her name, I knew I would maul it. So I actually did look – I looked this up earlier um, today just because I thought you might ask about it, and her name is pronounced something like she, um, Murkowski's main inner-party opponent. It's pronounced Kelly Chewbacca. It's very close to the Star Wars character. Like <laughs> I, I am not enough of a linguist to tell you what the exact difference between her name and Chewie is, but – if you say Kelly Chewbacca, you're you're not going to get corrected. <laughs> it's, it's close. So, yes, she um, – so Murkowski, she's been probably even more so than Susan Collins, the Republican who's most likely to have voted against Trump administration priorities and probably the most independent member of their caucus. She faces a challenge, challenger backed by Trump, Kelly Chewbacca. She's a former member of the state cabinet. Alaska has always kind of had weird politics. Murkowski famously in 2010, she lost. She actually lost a Republican primary and to a Tea Partier named Joe Miller, but then she came back and won as a writing candidate. Only second person to ever do that in a, federal, in a Senate race. The first was Strom Thurmond. And Alaska, since then, it's completely changed its electoral system. In 2020, they voted to institute, starting next year, this thing they're calling the top four primary, which no place in America has done anything like this. So in the primary, not going to be a Democrat primary or Republican primary, everyone, regardless of the party, they run on the one ballot. The candidates with the, the, the four candidates with the most votes, they advance to a general election. That could be two Republicans, two Democrats, two Republicans, one independent, one Democrat, three Democrats, one Republican, who knows? Any, any of those, any permutation is possible. And in the general election, it's ranked choice voting, so can create some interesting dynamics. So that so Murkowski, her her best bet is she gets enough 
Republicans, Democrats, independents, who they're not going to rank her their first or second choice, at least make her third, just enough to advance and then win. But completely new system. No one's, no one has ever done this ever in America. So we're going to see. I I don't know who's going to win, but I'm very very sure we're not going to know for weeks. <laughs> yeah, for weeks after election so day in 2022. Yes, we were talking about Jessica Taylor and what she did with the vice president's name. I can just see the Republicans now. They make fun of us for saying Kamala Harris's name wrong, and they're calling our lady in Alaska a Wookiee. Um, you know, they will, they will come back at us. Um, well, now let's talk about the ranked choice voting. And I know Alaska's had it a cycle or two, and it's worked. And in New York um, – it just hasn't seemingly been a, a smooth process. Um, I don't know how much you keep up with New York, but from what you know, why has it been effective in places like Maine and Alaska and just not been what we might have hoped um, in New York? Yeah, so, well, I believe this is the first time Alaska is going to be doing it, at least on a major scale. Maine until now has been the only state to do it statewide, but there have been some big cities that have done it, San Francisco, Minneapolis. Why it didn't work in New York? Well, the big problem is the New York City Board of Elections. <laughs> they, it's, been, it's had a really bad reputation for a long time. The big problem with them is it's, it's really a political institution. It's not it, – the people who run it aren't – election experts or county clerks, they're political appointees, and there's just – they hire their friends and relatives. So there, there have been big problems there for years. They're, in 2013, they found a bunch of votes, thousands of votes that should have been counted before. Didn't change any election results. There was nothing nefarious. It was just pure incompetence. And this – just two weeks ago, they, they did their ranked choice tabulations, and they said, oh – 130,000 test votes that we should have gotten rid of. We accidentally put those in these calculations. Didn't end up changing much, but that was. I think that's the big reason why New York got a bad rap for ranked choice voting. But other than that huge, huge problem, I think it worked out pretty well. I think most voters understood what they were doing. Didn't really produce the outcome we wanted, but that's not the system's fault. I, I think, well, I, I don't think Alaska's election infrastructure is nearly as bad as it is in New York City, for one thing. And I think after that, I don't, I don't know how it's going to go, but I think once voters do get the chance to try ranked choice voting, most, they, they understand it quite well. Yes. I mean, it seems like this was unfortunate because it seems like an interesting system no matter where you fit on the political spectrum. It gives you more say, particularly if you want to vote for a candidate that's not necessarily the best funded. Um, but th this just wasn't uh, the best entry to a lot of people hearing about it. And I'll say this. I saw Bill de Blasio's video explaining it through pizza. I never want to share a pizza um, with uh, Mayor de Blasio after seeing it. <laughs> uh, um, well, let me ask you about a totally different state, one that you're not expecting because it's not usually very competitive and it still may not be. Um, but when Kamala Harris was promoted uh, or took um, the vice presidency, she had to vacate her Senate seat, and Gavin Newsom appointed 
Alex Padilla uh, to run or to serve out that term, and he apparently is going to run for re-election. And a number of candidates have announced it. It doesn't appear that anybody super substantial has, although you're probably going to know more about these folks than I do. Um, uh, is Alex Padilla, is he going to have a serious race for re-election, or is it going to be the appointment um, really set him up well? So Alex Padilla, former Secretary of State of California, first Latino to represent the state ever in the Senate, or at least in a very, very long time. He most almost all the political the state political establishment for him, the Democratic establishment. I so far the only notable candidate I've potential candidate I've seen make any noise about potentially running is Congressman Ro Khanna from Silicon Valley. And he seemed pretty unenthusiastic when he last talked about it in early May. It's been three months, haven't heard anything from it. If he runs, he does have a lot of connections, a lot of access to money. I think he could put up a fight, but I haven't. I doubt he will, and I haven't heard anyone else of any real stature mentioned. So I think I think Padilla is going to be fine. Okay. Well, we had, we covered it. May not talk about it again if it if it stays chalk like you've uh, said. Final race I wanted to ask you about. Um, uh, we mentioned Richard Shelby, who we thought the Senate was, you know, constructed around. Uh, maybe it wasn't, but maybe it was when Chuck Grassley uh, first started serving in the House and the Senate, because he's been there uh, since the beginning of recorded time. Um, <laughs> he'll be in, I believe, his 90s if he runs for re-election. Yeah, he's something like that. Okay, so if he runs or if he vacates that seat – Iowa seems to be becoming very Republican because it is rural, and rural voters are becoming more Republican for whatever reason, although those congressional results in 2018 were a glimmer of hope. Let's say Grassley runs or doesn't run. Uh, what does that race look like? I, Iowa, it's really – it's kind of gone the direction of Ohio. It's, it's very much gone the direction of Ohio, and I think it's going to be tough no matter what. Grassley, he's been popular for a really long time. There was a poll recently that showed him that showed voters were open to change, but that same poll also showed Joe Biden unpopular in the state. So it's going to be very, very hard to elect a Democratic senator in Iowa if the white if Biden is isn't at least doesn't at least have decent numbers, or at least if he's seen as if he's unpopular, it's going to be really difficult. If Grassley leaves. And he said he's going to decide sometime between Labor Day and November 1st, so mark our calendars, I guess. Um, I think Democrats would have a better chance, but still it would be difficult. In terms of what Democrats could run, former Congresswoman Abby Finkenauer, she's apparently really serious about thinking about it, but haven't heard anything from her in a little while. She got elected in the 2018 wave, narrowly lost in 2020, so... She'd be, she'd be a good candidate regardless of whether Grassley's there or not, but she also did fall victim to the forces that have been hurting us really badly in Iowa, so it would be difficult no matter what. Yes, well, um, excellent analysis on the Senate. Um, Jeff, just leave our listeners, if they want to read um, some of your content till the next time, which will be sooner that you come on the Kudzu Vine, tell us where they can read you at. 
So we publish, we're at Daily Coast Elections. Um, we publish the Daily Coast Elections Morning Digest. It goes out every weekday morning. It's free to sign up. We run down all the major developments for Senate races, governor's races, House races, sometimes mayoral, state legislature, attorneys general, you name it. We, we run down the down-ballot races. So you can, you can find us at Daily Coast Elections, and you can find us on Twitter at DK Elections. Yes. Well, Jeff, we thank you for coming on the show tonight. Yeah, well, thank Thanks, you. It's Jeff. been great. Yes. Thank you, sir. All right. Um, yeah, if you want a source about um, election info, Daily Coast Elections is just one of the best. And um, Jeff, along with David Neer, uh, come on the show and talk with us. And we're just so glad to have uh, Jeff back. We we did we certainly missed him uh, greatly. Um, well, we've got about four minutes. Let's see if we can finish this out, this project we started at the beginning of the hour. We're going to be fair to Linda Blanchard. The final candidate uh, that's announced seeking the Republican nomination, um, she is, a, a, I guess, a Christian conservative activist. She was Trump's ambassador to Slovenia. I guess if you were an ambassador under the Trump administration, you think you can uh, win office. Um, but she is running uh, for that. She seems to be, like I said, more of that Mike Pence wing, although she was in the administration, so she can tie, you know, back to Donald Trump. Um, Catherine, buy, sell, hold on Linda Blanchard. I'm going to hold Linda Blanchard. Um, I think that her she's another Trump, another Trumpy, and uh, with Jessica Taylor and Mo Brooks, I'm not sure there's room for another Trump. Trumpy in there, but I think her Christian leadership positions probably help her even more, so I'm going to hold her. Yes. Um, Tim, your thoughts on Linda Blanchard? Well, I'm going to hold her too, but for a different reason. She can self-finance, and when I say self-finance, I mean self-finance. She's already loaned her uh, campaign $5 million, and there's plenty more oh. where that came from. Did you notice, by the way, that I did not sell any of these candidates? No, Tim, not that you brought that, that to mind. There's, there's a reason for that, and then I'll let you tell us what you're going to do with Blanchard. But I believe that all four of these candidates are fairly strong, which is very unusual Therefore, I believe there is going to be a runoff, and uh, you gotta you gotta finish second. You know that's that's what you gotta do here, and and I believe that uh, you know any any of the four could could do that. So, tell us what you think, David. Yes, well, unlike Tim, I'm gonna have money because I'm gonna sell things, and I'm gonna sell Linda Blanchard, and that's not to dismiss her credentials as a professional. Um, she's you know, apparently she's a computer scientist and can write five computer languages, earned a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics at Auburn. So she's an accomplished person. Like a lot of the candidates the Republicans have put, been putting up lately that we make fun of their um, intellectual curiosity, I don't paint um, Linda Blanchard with this brush. I, I, I really 
think she's an accomplished person. Um, you know, she's like seeking self-finance. That's because she's done some things in her life. Um, she's a mother of eight, and many of those children are international adoptees. That shows she's a person that doesn't um, run away from diversity, which I think is a good thing. And all of these things like studying computer science and, you know, um, you know, valuing diversity, I don't think that's going to get her very far in the Republican primary, unfortunately. Um, the Republicans need to elect people in the primaries to prove me wrong. I think this I think Tim, I think you're right that it's gonna come down to a runoff and it's gonna be Katie Britt's probably gonna edge out um Linda Blanchard for one side and then Mo Brooks is gonna edge out um Jessica Taylor for the other and it's probably gonna end up being Mo Brooks in the end. Um but unless somehow, you know, Katie Britt um can turn out the voters that um, or more, I guess, good government, which we saw that in Georgia with Casey Cagle and Brian. We know how that story ended, so um, we'd have to see something different. Well, uh, once again, great to have Jeff on the show. Really went through this Alabama Senate race. Uh, I would dare say this is probably one of the most thorough uh, looks at the Alabama Senate race, particularly outside of the um, Yellowhammer State. Um, but we're going to take next week off on the Kudzu Vine. But when we come back, we've got a great show. Um, author of the upcoming book, frankly, we did win this election. Um, Michael Bender, political reporter from Wall Street Journal, is going to join us um, two Sundays from tonight. Uh, he was embedded, I believe, at times with the Trump campaign. And so while we've had two really good uh, books about the election come out, those books were more from the Democratic side. Uh, Michael Bender has covered this more from the Republican side, and some of the stories and tidbits that have already come out are just fascinating. One about Mike Pence uh, losing his temper with Donald Trump came out this past week. We're going to ask uh, Michael about that and more in two weeks' time. Till then, then, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, guys. Good night, y'all. Hi, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America.